0: This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online.
1: Stay tuned for Revolutions Per Minute coming up in this hour, and that is presented by the various members of the Democratic Socialists of America, and that's coming up right now. Stay tuned.
2: Revolutions per minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc.
3: Good evening. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live from the new WBAI studios. We're a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide. And NYC DSA is its biggest chapter. We're run by our 9000 plus members and organisers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm Bernard Goida. I use he him pronouns. I'm a journalist and activist based in Harlem. This week, Revolutions Per Minute spans the Atlantic Ocean, exploring the parallels between labour movements in the UK and the US. Later in the show, we're gonna be joined by a special guest, Jordan Flowers, a co-founder of the Amazon Labor Union, on what ALU has been doing to challenge Amazon since the historic unionization of the JFK8 warehouse in Staten Island back in April last year. We'll also be speaking to Stuart Richard, a senior organizer with GMB in the UK's West Midlands focused on Amazon workers. Later, we can hear from James Midway. A council member of the progressive economy forum and a former advisor to the shadow chancellor john McDonnell on the strike wave sweeping the uk and first we have the headlines with caroline van zeitz
4: hello this is caroline van zeitz bringing you the headlines today for this tuesday february 14th in local news social services commissioner gary jenkins has resigned Amidst an investigation into his alleged cover-up of an incident last summer in which a homeless family was forced to sleep in a Department of Social Services intake office in violation of the city's right to shelter law. Deaths among New York's homeless population reached record highs in 2022. The head of the Department of Correction Oversight Board has resigned after Correction Commissioner Louis Molina repeatedly took steps to thwart the board's oversight of Rikers Island including limiting access to video from jails since being appointed by Mayor Adams last year. State Senate Republicans sued the State Senate to force a floor vote on the confirmation of Hector LaSalle to be chief judge of the Court of Appeals after LaSalle was defeated in the Senate Judiciary Committee last month. The GOP appears to have preempted Governor Hochul's threats to do the same. Both Janet DeFiore the former chief judge of the New York State Court of Appeals, who resigned last year amid an ethics investigation, and Anthony Canantaro, the acting chief judge who has replaced her until a new appointment is confirmed, failed to disclose the use of full-time chauffeurs as part of their compensation. A federal judge upheld New York's rent stabilization laws, which may pave the way for a challenge from the real estate lobby to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. Those are the headlines for today, Tuesday, February 14th. I'm Caroline Van Zeitz. Now back to the studio for tonight's show.
0: Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYC DSA Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. I'm Chris Carr, he, him pronouns, a grad worker with UAW 202710 and a member of the RPM Collective. And I'm the other co-host today. So now I'll turn things over to Bernard to get get the show started.
3: Thank you, Chris. Um, Really, uh, really excited for today's show. First, we're going to go to my home country, the United Kingdom, and I'm going to speak to a comrade of mine who uh, we were involved in student organizing uh, against austerity, uh, like going on a decade ago together when he was doing his PhD in economics. Um, and yeah, he's he's now a senior economist. He was advising the Labour Party when Jeremy Corbyn, who's a proud Democratic Socialist, was uh, leader of the Labour Party, and um, he's going to give us some insights into the kind of political economy situation in the UK and what's led to the current rise in strikes. The second voice you'll hear um, after after that interview is with Stuart Richard, who is an organizer at the GMB union, which is a big general union in the UK uh, about the organizing efforts they've been doing with Amazon. So let's roll the tape.
2: Because of the lockdowns, because of the way that government stepped in to sort of regulate parts of the economy because of exactly, as you say, a rhetoric that was used in Britain and elsewhere around key workers or essential workers or some people's jobs, even though we don't pay them very much, are actually really critically important. So we're all going to go out and clap for the NHS, nurses, and doctors, and this sort of thing. That was something that happened in Britain. Um, you then, a bit later on, hit this rush of inflation, which means that people's real wages, the amount of money Uh, The amount that you can buy with your money is just disappearing and disappearing. And it's things that are really essential, like energy to heat your house or food you need to eat. Um, Those are the things really going up in price. So you can't avoid the inflation. So you're really being squeezed. And some of the people are getting squeezed hardest in Britain, where you have a government that says public sector pay rises must be limited to about 2%. inflation's 10%. Some of the people being hit hardest are exactly the people that you're applauding. And I think there's a similar dynamic everywhere. I think Britain and America are probably in some ways the closest. They they had some of the more incompetent initial government responses to COVID, let's put it like that, uh, along with lots of sort of confused rhetoric about who's an essential worker and who isn't. And that's kind of shifted how people think about work and an early version of this I think was what you saw in what got called the Great Resignation probably more dramatic in the US and UK but there's a similar thing everywhere with lots of people realising that they didn't necessarily have to stay in their jobs that they could change where they were working a lot of people taking early retirement a lot of people and this is one of the very bad after effects of COVID actually there's you know hundreds of thousands of people now reporting that they have long COVID symptoms uh, the number of people out of work in britain is up half a million on pre-covid numbers basically because i mean it's great chocolate that is long covered there's a whole load of other diseases and illnesses coming through um so you put all this together you have a lot of people changing how they think about work and you actually have a lot fewer people in work that's less pressure on people who are looking for work because somebody's competing with them It's one less person
3: to compete so ultimately so workers really- power work workers power has been increased significantly by exactly the- Exactly. It. So, so there's this sort of shock from COVID in
2: particular, where on one hand, everyone's forced to think differently about work. And on the other hand, there kind of there's a bunch of opportunities created where suddenly you have a bit more bargaining. power. the early version of that was a lot of people just changing the job that they had. You had all sorts of stories about people in, in you know, retail or um, working in a restaurant or I was talking to a, a nightclub bouncer who did this. where you just walk out of one job in the morning and go to another one in the evening because you get better pay. Uh, That was the early part of it. What you're seeing now is people organizing collectively because they recognize that potential power that they have because we have a bunch of tight labor markets everywhere. And that, I think, is a fairly common experience. You can see it in the UK and the US, definitely. You get bits of it in Europe, but the way the labor markets work there is a bit different. But you get something like this right away across the world.
3: Actually, one of the key unions, the Railway and Maritime Transport Union, the RMT, which has um, been right at the forefront of this, and has this incredible tradition, kind of inherited from uh, the late Bob Crow, of um, there's a there's a soccer team. Uh, we call it football uh, in South London, called Millwall, who have the uh, the great. Their fans' slogan is "Nobody likes us, and we don't care." Um, and that's sort of the RMT strategy, isn't it? In a the sense, they they, they 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 for a long time had 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 strikes and took industrial action when it was deeply unpopular. Yeah. Uh, um, and won uh, won good good conditions for their workforce. And in a sense, I think they've kind of won the respect of the British people for their for their kind of for their for their approach to their, their kind of their, their very they're quite hard line approach, um, which is perhaps unexpected. Well, that,
2: that's yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean. The, the late Bob Crow won, won this sort of grudging respect of everyone, which became apparent when he, when he died, you know, rather tragically young. But yes, the former leader of the RMT was a Millwall fan. and Of course, he was quite famous for saying, nobody likes us, we don't care. Cause he grasped the classic, kind of essentials that if you're driving a train and you decide not to drive that train, that train will not be driven. You have a lot of power. Likewise, if you're a guard, likewise, if you're running a ticket office, like you have a lot of industrial power there. And the RMT was unusual in being very strong in the sections they organise relative to the rest of you know, the working class in Britain being much, much weaker in terms of where people were working and how strong trade unions were. It was sort of outstanding like that. What's happening at the minute is, is, is kind of there's a load of people catching up with the RMT. They, they no longer look like the outlier that's going to go on strike and use its sectional power when suddenly you have nurses. Royal College of Nursing has never voted before to go on strike in its history. Uh, they've now been on what? They've been out, what, twice? So um, it's hundreds of thousands of people at this point with more strikes lined up alongside doctors junior doctors paramedics uh, teachers and absolutely enormous strike last week similar ones Planned university lecturers, great chunks of the the public sector workforce, uh, driving instructors, um, civil servants, uh, the people who man the, the border uh, the border guards, uh, airports. Yeah, you know, this all of these people are out on strike, and suddenly the RMT isn't an outlier anymore. So, so I think the the context there has shifted a fair bit. And you're also right to say, and this is really unusual because it runs hard against what the government thought it needed to do to defeat these strikers, which is basically to rely heavily on public opinion turning against them. Now, you know, it's never quite clear how public opinion turning against you is actually going to necessarily defeat a strike. No one likes us and we don't care, as as Millwall and the RMT and Bob Crow used to put it. Um, So it's not very clear how they expect this to happen, but nonetheless it isn't happening. The strikes are becoming more popular the longer they go on. It's the exact opposite of what's supposed to happen. It it speaks to a very deep uh, sense of crisis that people have and a kind of let's call it a kind of ideological crisis that the ideas about how we're supposed to think about the world have been so horribly disrupted in the last few years with things like coronavirus now with the cost of living crisis now with everything just not working you go to britain it's just obvious that this is a a troubled society where nothing really works and everyone is angry uh put all that together so of course the strikes can get more popular and as things stand i don't think this government is going to get the glorious thatcher style victory it fantasizes about
3: Yeah, so that was James Meadway. Um, And now we're gonna hear uh, an interview that Chris and I did with the organizer of uh, Amazon, with one of the organizers who's organizing Amazon workers in the UK uh, at the GMB union. This is Stuart Richards. We've been trying to support Amazon workers um, in in organizing sites for the best part of a decade now, so for 10 years. With with limited success, from being honest, Um, the the UK labour laws are um, incredibly restrictive for for, for the rest of, as compared to the rest of Europe. So um, we have no direct access and we have um, no routes to actually try and engage the workers uh, apart from kind of game jobs and and, bits of representation. We were incredibly lucky in that um, uh, in the summer last year, we saw groups of workers, not just in Coventry, but right across the UK spontaneously start the protest. So
5: they'd come right the way through the pandemic. They'd been working hugely terrible hours in conditions that are bloody awful. And uh, Amazon decided to reward them with uh, a, a 50 pence an hour rise. So they're on £10.50 culture, Amazon Coventry, you know, the, the lowest paid workers, in uh, amazon across the whole of the uk and again if you compare the rates to what's happening in america it's even they're even worse paid than, than our colleagues over there so uh protests broke out spontaneously they were not connected to the union these were workers in their own workplaces organizing themselves sitting down in canteens walking off sites and that action spread from uh three main sites where it, we broke out uh to to huge parts of the country. We were incredibly lucky in that we'd already got a um, a number of members of the site in, in Coventry, so we went out and started talking to them, and we were able to build a network of initially uh, around about five, we're now around about 20 um, activists, to help uh, helping engage workers and bring that kind of sense of collective power that they saw in the protest but doing it through a legal route so they can't face dismissal. Um, That happened in August, so from that point on, we helped those workers develop a pay claim that we put in uh, at the end of August to Amazon and Coventry. We've now put a pay claim on behalf of all Amazon workers across the whole of the UK, which, of course, Amazon has completely ignored. So we've now started the initial escalation, which was a day of action um, last month, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, We've still got a huge way to go, so we, we started, went into that dispute with 300 members and a site of um, 1400, which will be reduced dramatically when they stop seasonal workers there. But um, again, it's still quite a small bit. We came out to that first day action with 350 members and huge numbers of workers not going in and supporting their colleagues. Lorries turning round, so Mm. um, it was a brilliant thing for us. It just kind of blew us away. So. We're now at the point uh, where we're looking to escalate the action at Coventry and see if we can utilise that uh, that kind of passion and ability to organise themselves to uh, start working with the sites where we've already got other members to see if we can bring them to the same point, which looks quite hopefully uh, like it's going to happen.
6: So what's next? Have you got strike action coming up? This is going out on Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, OK, so... Um, we can't we can't announce um, the notification is, is going out tomorrow, so if this is going on Tuesday you've got to get the exclusive here. So in Coventry we are looking to do a uh, day of action on the um, twenty four hours on the twenty eighth of February, a further day on the second of March, and then we're bringing the workers out for a week on the thirteenth of March. So um, again this is completely driven by our members there. We met with them and they were pushing quite a lot, so it's a significant
5: escalation, and what we're hoping to do is utilise, um, this is a big step for those guys, so hopefully to utilise that passion and actually see if we can start to, during that strike, not only um, picket the just you know, to replicate
0: what we did before, but also see if we can utilise some of those workers to travel to the other sites um, in the Midlands to see if we can uh, get Amazon workers talking to Amazon workers and, and spread that message. Mm. Last year, like the maybe the the largest labor story here in the United States was the successful unionization vote that happened in a warehouse in Staten Island, New York, at uh, JFKH. You had like the Amazon labor union, which had which won like the first union in in an Amazon warehouse uh, in the United States. And so, I, I'm just curious whether or not like that effort, that successful effort that we saw in the United States, if it had like any like impact on what workers are talking about, and like what their expectations are, or there in the UK, like has there been any? Like has it has it come up in conversation? Has it been like a source of inspiration in any way? Um,
5: yeah, I think we we were lucky enough when we were balloting our members for strike action to do an online ra- uh, rally with Derek Palmer from ALU. And again, one of the big bits for us is the workers at Amazon are incredibly isolated. That's the whole. Now, Amazon as an employer uh, operates a a culture of you work very intensely for a short period of time and then you leave um, it's based on kind of that intimidation that you don't even start talking to your colleagues about anything that looks like the ability to organise so there's a whole, a whole ethos and a whole uh, kind of agenda of, of workers not seeing themselves as part of a collective being incredibly isolated so Simple things like doing that rally made a huge amount of difference. Just the fact that we've got colleagues from America standing up and saying, oh yeah, we did this. We are facing the same issues and, you know, we can start to build a collective strength that goes beyond one little site in Coventry to across not only Europe, but the rest of the world as well. But it made a huge difference. And again, one of the things when we were talking to uh, our members, um, last week, team preparation for the next day of action is um, they want to push to see if we can replicate uh, union recognition at the sites, certainly at Coventry, and then push to the other ones as well. The UK Labour again, is, is very, very uh, difficult. So we have to um, overcome a number of hurdles before we can even attempt that. So we have to show that we have at least 10% of the, the workers there are in a union, which we've done. We then have to be able to demonstrate that 50%, uh, more than 50%, sorry, of the workforce actually wants recognition. So that's us being able to do that without having any kind of access at all is a real challenge. And once we've got that, then it goes to an independent, uh, supposedly independent body that then operates a full ballot of the workforce. But I'm also pretty confident we can do what we saw when. Um, just having the ability to have, I was a worker talking to Amazon a worker on a picket line on a day of action. The response was amazing. So if we can replicate that. They are hugely more confident than I've ever seen at any workplace that they can actually build that that strength and get the majority of workers there wanting to have, to have union recognition. Like you say though, um, seeing it happen in other in other countries, not just in America but across Europe as well, has been a huge game changer for them. It, it really, really has.
1: What are
3: some of the conditions uh, that the workers are demanding that be improved yeah so it's one of the one of the things that we've been focused on over the, the last years was was basically on conditions
5: so we've seen the stories of um, workers uh, at some of the sites have not been able to go for toilet breaks just because you know you'll have two or three toilets of a, a workforce of several thousand and you and you only get like 15 minute breaks so the ability to actually walk from your bit of the warehouse to the toilet isn't possible you said so we've seen guys having to, to to go to the toilet in plastic bottles and chuck them at the end of a shift we've seen some horrendous stories in terms of um, ambulance call outs so we were looking at statistics for comparable Warehouse facilities that are organised with, with unions in them. And again, it's just horrendous. The number of actual ambulance products is, 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 is overwhelming. Um, but I think that it was, it was weird. We'd always focused on the, the conditions of the workers, but it was actually, it's kind of like a, a glass of water slowly filling up. Each of those conditions is another drop on it, but it was paid that ultimately pushed people over. It was the bit right. about, okay, if I'm going to have to endure these fairly horrendous working conditions, kind of workhouse-type stuff, and you're still going to pay me less than I would if I went and worked in a supermarket. You know, it it, it was a whole catalogue of stuff. I think our next big focus after talking to, to, to our members is actually to try and tackle some of the fairly fundamental things, so how Amazon measures performance. So we've got this kind of Hunger Games approach where workers are pitted against a, a theoretical algorithm of performance across the site. So you're going to work, um, Amazon's algorithm will measure performance across the whole of a shift, and individual workers will be measured against that performance. None of the individual workers knows what that target is, none of the individual workers knows whether they are approaching it, hitting it, exceeding it or not exceeding it. So again, it's that kind of intimidation, I've just got to keep going and going and going. Um, we know that the bottom 5% of workers in a shift then are called in for a formal meeting. You get three of those formal meetings and you're out the door, you're sacked. So that's going to be our next focus. We believe that that's unlawful. So we're looking to see if we can mount a legal challenge and tackle it in industry as well as part of the dispute. Yeah, so I'm curious
0: what, what has been Amazon and their management's response like to this organizing Effort. I'm sure it hasn't been kind. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's weird. I've been doing this for, for 25 years, and
5: there are a number of things that, about Amazon that constantly surprise me. One of the things, actually, is, is about uh, we've changed our approach in terms of supporting these workers. So, again, this is much more based on grassroots organizing model because that's the only way you're ever going to be able to tackle Amazon. But, again, the response from the company is... is um, it's just wild actually. The, we, we don't get any direct engagement from anything we've done. So the only interaction we've had from anyone in Amazon in relation to the actual dispute and the day of action was a kind of legal technical question um, just on have we done something properly. And uh, again, we did. Uh, so that kind of fell through. it. So there, there is no direct engagement from Amazon as employer. The only bits we've seen in terms of um, the response is directly at arms and workers. So when we did our first day of action, um, it meant that there was a ship that was on site and they would effectively down tools and walk off at 1 minute past 12. Uh, Amazon brought in a a raft of additional security um, just in and around the site for that day. Uh, They brought in additional managers from from, uh, their head office. So when those workers were walking off-site, they had to walk past a little parade of managers. They had to be walking past the whole raft of security personnel. That's a huge level of intimidation. I've never seen that level of intimidation before. So that level of intimidation just backfired. The workers came out as a collective, and there were much more of them than there were in terms of those security personnel and the managers. So it really, really did backfire. And I think that's been the, the consistent message all the way through. Um, when the workers were protesting about pay and actually calling out their managers on site and saying, well, you know, this is crap. What are you going to do about it? is Amazon spends a huge amount of time, effort, and money trying to keep people like me as far away from Amazon as possible. The reality is, though, that the, the reason that's ultimately going to fail is I'm, I'm not the union in Amazon. The union in Amazon is those groups of workers. They're already in there. So keeping me out doesn't make a blind bit of difference. The union's already in there, and they don't know how the hell they're going to cope with it. So ultimately, that's going to be our big win here because we're already in. We're already organising. It only builds strength from here on out. But like you say, the... The escalation in terms of approaches uh, from managers we expect to see in in terms of trying to sack people, dismiss people, we've seen a massive escalation in in that already. But again, it's starting from a base that they're a really bad employer and we're already doing that. So even that kind of level of intimidation falls a bit flat on its face. And so
0: I'm just curious what has been... Uh, what has been like your sense of things over there and and do you see like this recent activity as some potential opportunity for for more work to be done and strengthening organized labor over there and and perhaps sort of coordinating across like these this 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 all this activity
5: to form some unified a sort of political message or or block? What we're saying over the last few months is a huge increase in terms of, uh, workers demonstrating their collective strengths and taking strike action right across, right across the whole of the economy. And
6: as a result of that, we've seen, um, we've seen a huge amount of support for, for Amazon workers. So the, the particular lines that we ran, we've got, um, uh, the CWU, which represents communication workers,
5: postal workers out uh, on there. We've got, um, colleagues from the ambulance service coming out supporting them there. We've got colleagues coming, coming from local government, you know, kind of refuse workers all standing there. And I think that's been the theme that we've seen over the last few months. Yeah, these are individual disputes based on really simplistic premise, which is actually we're not being paid a lot and we've had the best part of 10 years where wages have continually fallen behind, behind inflation. So it has got to the point where we need to do something. But coming out of that, the message and the opportunity
6: unions, trade unions have to do is actually understand that this is something that we have to build on. We
5: can't now ignore the fact that there are groups of workers that are agitating themselves, organising themselves and actually learning how they can tackle employers. Our job now as trade unions is to actually support, encourage and turn that into something positive so it goes beyond individual workplaces to actually try to change the way our society is structured in terms of the balance of power between employers and shareholders and owners of businesses and actual working people who generate the wealth. So we're seeing we're seeing the start of that. But again, you know, this is going to be a real challenge for us in making sure that we actually nurture that developer and enable it to grow into something that is something we haven't had in
3: the UK for the best part of 50 years. That was Stuart Richards from the GMB union speaking to RPM about unionizing an Amazon warehouse in Coventry in the UK's West Midlands. Um, And now we're gonna be speaking to Jordan Flowers, who knows a fair bit about organizing Amazon warehouses. Yes, so
0: hi Jordan, welcome to RPM. Say hi to the people.
1: Hello everyone, well, good evening, good afternoon. Uh, How's everyone doing?
0: Yeah, we're we're doing
1: good. Good. You on
0: listener-sponsored radio. So, uh, before we get started, I was hoping, Jordan, you, could just, you can sort of introduce yourself to our audience and talk a bit about your role in the Amazon Labor Union and what really just, and describe what motivated you and your coworkers to take that step to form uh, the Amazon Labor Union.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, my name is Jordan Flowers. I'm 24 years old. I'm the co founder of Amazon Labor Union. And, uh, I've been working at Amazon JFK since September 26, 2018 of opening day. Uh, a little bit about myself. I have lupus nephritis. I had it for 13 years. It's, uh, I have, uh, both my kidneys failed. So, uh, I've been dealing with that and, uh, organizing at Amazon. What drove me to organize at, uh, JFK was, uh, definitely my, my best friends, Chris Moles, Derek Palmer, Joel Bryson. they were in there for a change to help the workers, uh, during COVID to see a better change, to see testing properly. And definitely, you know, definitely uh, better care because they weren't taking care of their workers. They weren't paying them correctly. They weren't doing leave correctly. And in my instance, like I said, I have lupus nephritis. I took the role on medical issues because medical issues is are well talked of and uh, definitely is a serious issue during COVID. So uh, definitely my, my my leading organizing efforts were definitely from uh, medical issues in uh, COVID in JFK.
0: Yeah. And also, b- before that, you were also involved with the
1: the Essential Workers Congress. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I didn't know you wanted to get on to the next question, but uh, yeah. Uh, so we started as um the Congress of Essential Workers back in 20, 2020 after Chris Malls got terminated. Uh, we walked out, he got terminated, and then we used that motivation to start traveling the world and exploiting Amazon and all the profits he was making. And during this traveling time, we were actually traveling on unemployment money. So it was a lot of self-investment and a, a lot of exploitation against Amazon. Uh TCOEW went down to Alabama, Bessemer, Alabama, where we first had uh, a union vote, which failed by, uh, I forgot how many votes, but had a re-election and uh, lost again. But we took that motivation and brought it back home because, again, Jeff it's our community, we worked there over five years and we know the workers, we know the work conditions. We worked 60 hours on our feet, six days a week. And we knew we knew it was time for a union, and you know we put our efforts out there and did everything we can.
3: Yeah, did your experience of kind of having having to do that that work with a disability was that something that really drove you? Because it it sounded from the interview with Stuart that Amazon really just doesn't take into account individual circumstances of its workers. It basically, doesn't doesn't really care about that,
1: right? Uh, definitely I'm just I'm just arms and legs to Amazon. You know, we're all arms and legs to Amazon. We're just we're just the next person to be in line to be terminated and keep this uh, process going with Amazon. So uh definitely it's not even just workers, they also don't care about uh, workers with medical issues.
0: Yeah, so so early in the show we had a chance to hear from Stewart who was trying to organize Amazon workers with with GMB in the UK. So Based on what you've heard, do you have any thoughts on what you, what you heard from the Amazon workers trying to organize in the UK? And if there's any sort of synergies you were able to find from your own experience?
1: Uh, definitely with the union bus. And uh, they were having union buses almost every 20 minutes. And we're talking about in the facility of 8,000 workers and the class of like 25, 26 people. So in like every 20 minutes, it's it's a consistent basis from when you walk into your lunch break until you go home. And um, that's another that was another effort for that uh that, that drove us because we see that Amazon use tactics to keep people silenced. And, you know, as a community, as workers inside JFK, besides ALU, you know, we have a voice to speak up. And, you know, we, we now, being that we're an official union, we have more workers starting to stand up and speak out. Cause they're, they're not, they're not afraid to be, uh, how can I put it? They're not afraid to, uh, yeah, like they're not afraid to speak out and, uh, stand up for themselves. Before, Amazon used to have a tactic where it's like, it's quiet all the time. And if you speak about us or speak against us, you're automatically terminated. So a huge, huge uh, problem inside the Amazon, which I've seen worldwide too. Do you think they do that deliberately to
3: stop um, workers organizing them, the way that they have that For silence sure. rule?
1: For sure. We're talking about a 1000000000000 dollar company. Uh, they'll do anything to silence us. and you know, the more workers to speak out, you hear more stories that are even more crazy than what we already know from what we hear. So uh, it's de- it's definitely uh, blood money, I like to call it, because it's, it's a lot of silencing and, you know, Amazon, Amazon's just a big corporation and it's uh, ridiculous.
3: Yeah. Can you take us back to April 2022? And what, what was it like doing that first, that first, that kind of getting that first vote? And, and what, what, what did that feel like? To get that victory,
1: uh, I was ecstatic. I mean, to to, to take it back that I was running around for two two and a half years, exploiting Amazon, to a whole year organizing my own building that I started working at. I mean, it's ecstatic that you know how much effort and time and how much communication, how much actively engaging with workers can uh, can do, and to see a change like this. It's uh, anything's possible. So uh, I mean, definitely. I was, I was crying. I was hard. I was like just really ecstatic that, you know, for, for something like this to finally happen and, you know, to be part of it. It's, you know, it's just a great thing that, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's still catching me sometimes that, you know, that, um, yeah, winning this election was, was a lot of efforts. It was a lot of organizing efforts, rain, sleet, snow, cold weathers, hot weathers, overnight, 24 hours on the spot at the bus stop, just talking to workers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I feel like with with the ALU effort, I I remember in the lead up to the election, like there was like this, it was like this like weird like independent union that like no one knew anything about, and and they and they thought that they that they'd be able to challenge like this like international like behemoth as Amazon, and and I and I definitely remember a lot of the coverage of that of that election, not only from like the the traditional press, but also from like a lot of like worker, like union favored press, which was really not really taking this election seriously. And so I- I'm curious, did any of that outside noise like ever ever affect your like your, your organizing effort inside the warehouse, sort of seeping in? Did you like did you ever was there ever a point where you think that this this is like something that like we're out of our depth here and this and this is really won't work?
1: Uh, not really. Uh. That it was, it, it was hard talking to some workers because uh, some workers don't understand what unions are and the benefits. Uh, there were workers that worked definitely for it and know what a union was. And even with the outside supporters, uh, they even came and helped us sit at the bus stop, talk to workers, and, you know, let them know that, you know, perks and benefits of a union, even, even as we're independent, uh, workers also started seeing that we were getting their jobs back uncertified and before the election. So definitely, with the outside press and the outside supporters coming and uh, standing standing side by side with us, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, we had uh, we had a lot of uh, organizers standing side by side with us at the bus stop, and uh, you know, during those hours, just talk to workers and just let them know that you know we're here to stay and we're here to fight for workers.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's still like it. As someone from the outside, it, it's still like a like a major like an inspiration like for us all. Like like the fact that that victory happened. And and hopefully, there's, there's a lot of great stuff to come. So you're, you're listening to Revolutions for Minute on listener sponsor, WBEI and NYC Broadcasting at 99.5 FM, and listening on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're talking about the strikes which have rocked the United Kingdom and the effort to unionize Amazon on both sides of the Atlantic, from here in New York and to the UK and beyond. But before we get back to Jordan, uh, let's take a moment to recognize that you are listening now to listener-sponsored and listener-funded community radio. That means we are powered by the people like you and not the corporations. It is through this independence that allows us to talk to organizers like Stuart from the UK and Jordan from Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island, who may be separated by thousands of miles by distance but still stand shoulder-to-shoulder against the bosses at Amazon. If this kind of media speaks to you, if you believe in the mission that we do here at Revolutions Per Minute, and a world free of worker exploitation and free of billionaires like Jeff Bezos is possible, and that worker-led media is part of that vision, then please don't hesitate to pick up the phone or go online to donate to WBAI. To give to the station, please call. 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, that's 212-209-2950, or go to WBI.org. It would be an understatement to say that every dollar counts because the station needs every bit of it if it is going to afford New York rent to pay our bills, to maintain all of our high-quality high equipment, and pay our incredible staff. We know times are hard for everyone, but if you are in the position to give monthly, then please join us to be a WBAI buddy. Being a WBAI buddy not only means you'll be sustaining our operations here at the station or get cool perks like tote bags or other merch, but also if your donation exceeds $25, you become a voting member in WBAI, joining the station as a citizen in our radio democracy. And plus, if enough of you join, then that means fewer fundraising drives like this one and more content. So in the end, uh, we're, we're all happy. So to give to the station, please call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or at org. Thank you. Okay, so back to... Back to you jordan um so what so we had like this like this huge high you know of like winning winning this uh, successful like election back in april but what has the battle with amazon been like since the election vote both for the union as a whole and and the retaliation that you specific specifically have faced from amazon
1: um so as of myself i actually been terminated from Amazon three times. This last occurring termination, they stated that I voluntarily resigned. Which wasn't true. I needed doc- I needed uh medical coverage, which I currently don't have since the termination. I'm on a list for a kidney transplant and uh, you know, by doing them uh, by them terminating me, I lost all that and I couldn't see a doctor since August. They went now in February and uh the, it, it was, it's just a tactic of organizing. It's the lower our organizers inside JFK, which again, I wasn't already inside due to my health issue and being on the kidney transplant list. But by just them, you know, firing me and making me lose coverage, like, that should just show you how sickening this company is. Uh, and then with ALU, uh, it's definitely a lot of the court peels. They're stating that, uh, we cheated, that we had to end on our side, that, uh, miscounted. It was a bunch of lies. And we see that they're going. They're trying to keep appealing everything. And honestly, it's not getting them nowhere. And it's just time to sit down and have like a contract talk. Because, I mean, these people we still have workers in there fighting, fighting every day. And we could have been had a contract. And again, we're talking about a trillion dollar company that doesn't really care about his workers. Jeff Bezos stated in a congressional hearing, he makes rules that abides by him so he could fit his situation. And, you know, that should just tell you that, you know, with the court cases we're going on, like they're really trying to make it seem like we cheated throughout the whole campaign, which, uh again, it was just us actively engaging with workers, and, you know, letting them know the perks and benefits and then showing workers how we can get their jobs back. So um it's definitely in and out of court with Amazon and the ALU.
3: Jordan, what is ALU be doing to form connections with workers at other locations, um, whether that's within New York or, um, within the kind of, w- within the tri-state area or across the country? Uh, so actually
1: we, uh, as of last year, we actually launched another campaign for ALU on, our uh, California Moreno Valley. Uh, that's ONTA, uh, our, our lead organizer in that. Uh, that's another facility we're almost ready to file and start, start the count and start for their, uh, their trial and campaign. Uh, we got workers starting in Jersey and we got workers in Chicago right now. So it, it's it's slowly starting to come out that more facilities want us, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of efforts trying to focus on our building and uh, other warehouses at the same time. And we had a lot of uh,
3: solidarity, especially during the Staten Island Drive. You saw Bernie Sanders come down. Um, we've had a lot of uh a, a lot of support across the movement do you think what what still needs to be done to help help you build those bridges across communities and, and what more support do you need from uh f- from the wider movement
1: uh definitely uh keep going in JFK cuz uh we started we got our election we got our win and we got our certification i feel like once we get this contract and we we definitely uh started shop steward training so we're trying to get more workers to become shop shop stewards and bring more workers in, and even the new hires are starting to come in, because we know Amazon ain't explaining that they have a union now. So it's definitely getting the new hires, the organizers, and the community inside to start coming out and uh, helping us organize the shop stewardess. And once we finish with the contract, I feel like everything would be easier, and we'll be, you know, more more workers just coming to stand out, and more facilities will come to stand out.
0: Yeah, and and I think that that's often an important point that's often missed in a lot of labor, a a lot of traditional press about labor, whereas they often think like the that the that the battle is over after after your election vote, but like the real battle like really comes for for that first contract. And so Mm -hmm. like with so with the JFK eight warehouse voting to form a union, what do you what do you think it will take to actually get that first contract, and what do you? and, Like, do you think this will involve organizing other warehouses nearby in order to build like your leverage?
1: Uh, definitely, just like I, as I mentioned, get more shop stewards. Even if they get the shop steward position or not, be get Sorry. we have more workers come in. We'll speak to more workers. We'll have workers with stories that want to speak out, and that that's what draws more workers into the union. You know, when they see when they start seeing their friends, their coworkers using the resources they have at the union. They'll be, they'll be more comfortable and, uh, definitely be ready for a strike, even with a walkout. You know, that'd be, that'd also be a breakout for us that, you know, to get this contract, we all, we all work out. So that's another story we're getting inside the facility that we need work. We need more workers to start organizing and be, be prepared if we have to walk out to walk out.
3: You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're talking about the effort to unionize Amazon from both sides of the Atlantic. And we're with organizers who are trying to make that a reality. Now, we've got around 15 minutes left of the show. So this time, we'd love you to call in and talk to us. Bring your questions, bring your queries for Jordan, experiences at work. Give us a ring on 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Don't hesitate to call. Again, that number is 212 Two zero nine two
0: eight seven seven. Yeah. So, so Jordan, while we're waiting for calls, uh, I, so I, I saw that you were one of the speakers involved for the Sunday day of action for secure jobs. So I, I was hoping that you could so sort of talk a bit about that experience on Sunday and what do you hope to gain from that effort?
1: Uh, definitely. Uh, shout out to Make the Road. They. Uh with Secure Jobs and helping out. Uh, with the Secure Jobs Act, it's for workers such as myself, Gerald Bryson, another co-founder, and workers around the New, uh, New York area did not get fired. With the Just Cause, I should bring that up first. So with the Just Cause bill being signed, big corporations or small companies can't fire without uh, a, a non-unnecessary reason. Now it has to be for a reason. Which brings us now to Secure Jobs, as we just mentioned. That, uh, secure jobs for workers like me who need to be working or covered or, you know, we just can't be, we can't be terminated and we can't just lose our job and be profits to these big corporations. So with the Secure Jobs Act, uh, it's definitely have more workers be secured and have more, uh, reliability that, uh, workers can't get fired throughout the pandemic or not.
0: Yeah. And I think that definitely connects to, to to Bernard's question earlier about what what can we do to sort of build these connections like across the labor movement and in finding these these common issues, like like what the like what the Secure Secure Jobs Act does, it seems to be exactly that.
1: Uh, yeah, de- definitely. Um, Secure. I mean, again, you've been talking about corporations around. Well, just in New York itself, I should say, that uh, you know, there's a lot of unjustly firings, unjustly causes that companies are doing, especially, like I mentioned, the pandemic, that people should be out here fighting to find a new job now, especially pre pre COVID, during COVID and after COVID, that, you know, these workers who were working during the pandemic were, should be able to keep their jobs, even if it was part time or not.
3: I mean, one of the outrageous things about the US is the fact that you lose your access to medical care when you lose your job. Um, I think you're the only country in the world that has that. Uh, it's just utterly insane, which is why we need Medicare for all. Um, I had a kind of a question about process for you, Jordan. What, why did you guys decide to set up ALU rather than, um, setting up a branch of a bigger union? What was the, what was the reason for that?
1: Uh, JIP, it's our home. It's our community. Uh, like I mentioned, Chris Malls is a manager. So he already know all the managers and he already was, uh, managing a team, uh, myself, uh, very well known. I was a robotics technician, uh, Derek and Gerald, but very also well known in that department, pig count, floor health, uh, that, you know, it was just, we talk to these workers on a daily. So we already c- contemplate and complain about what we go through in our department and during our shifts that, uh, you know, coming back as a, as a grass-led, uh, grass-led uh, union. I mean, it shows a real struggle that workers such as entry-level workers can make that change besides Chris Ball and me and manager that entry-level up to management can make that change in their, in their workspace and community and environment that, uh, you know, like any, anything is possible so uh being being independent uh i mean it, it definitely showed the efforts it showed the struggles and you know how how actively we were with uh our workers inside jfk you didn't you,
3: you didn't need anyone you didn't need anyone else to do it for you you guys are going to do it yourselves
1: no it's it's, it's it's again we we've been there so it's a it's just a community we already you know again we talked to these workers we've been there 5 years it's just trying to get them on board, and again, as we, we actively engage, we gave our T-shirts, barbecues, uh, even having parties. You know, that's just tactics where we had the workers come to us, speak out, and then start joining the union, and then you know that's how you you start branching out inside the facility.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're we're, we're coming up uh, near the near the close of the show here, and so is there anything that our listeners can do if uh, if they want to get involved, either helping out the workers at ALU or potentially get um, involved with the organizing for the Secure Jobs Act, uh, is there any is are there, are there any directions you can point our listeners?
1: Uh, definitely listen. Uh, always check out Secure Jobs Act. Uh, definitely um, uh, check out our website at Amazon. Uh, at Amazon sorry, AmazonLaborUnion.org. Or our Twitter at Amazon Labor, uh, you can always follow Chris Smalls, Mr. at Shuttle Down, uh, myself at J-A-Y-Y-T-C-O-E-W, which is the Congress of Essential Workers, uh, follow our Facebook, Instagram, uh, we usually post daily, uh, for any workers, you know, we're, we're always in, we're always in our office, not, uh, from seven to nine, uh, and definitely, um, you know, more, more workers to reach out. You know, that's, that's what makes ALU, ALU, that workers are starting to reach out and speak about this story. Jordan, if you could, without swearing, if you, had, if you had Jeff Bezos in front of you, what would you say to him? Let's get this contract ready. Let's, let's talk about it. No, it's, t- it's, time, it's time to sit down and negotiate. No, it's been too long, it's too much profit, that, you know, this could have been back in our workers' pockets, and we could have been protected, we didn't have to lose workers during COVID, now let's negotiate this contract so we can finish unionizing other buildings.
6: Mm.
0: That's very diplomatic of you, I, I think. <laughs> Others may have had a, a different response to, to Jeff
3: Bezos.
1: There's a few responses I had, but but no, that's
3: that's a very professional union organizer response, I like it, you're just trying to do a deal, that's, that's all we're here for, and you've got leverage, so... Um, I mean, ultimately that's what these, uh, this, that's what these Wall Street guys understand. They understand power. Uh, that's their language. You've got to speak to them in their language. If you, and, and the power you have is by withdrawing your labor.
1: Definitely. Once workers, you know, once workers starting on their rights again, you know, it's still a slow process. We're still, I'm still learning. I should person say I'm, I'm the youngest one, but you know, my mom's 1199. So I knew the pricks and benefits of a So shout out to 1199. Yeah. What, what did your mom do? She's a, she was a registered nurse. Now she uh she travels state to state to do uh, nurse cases.
3: Mm. And of course, shout out to the recent nurses' strike that happened in New York. That was very successful at winning um Montefiore Hospital in the in the Bronx um uh, winning winning pay rises for nurses. So it just shows the power of unions, especially if you're an essential worker. Um, and the Amazon workers, the nurses. These are the people that got us through the pandemic. Without those essential workers, society mm-hmm. literally would have crumbled. It's just crazy to think how reliant people are on these essential workers. And, you know, the least the least people can do is give them a pay raise.
1: And um, definitely shout out to UAW. I know they were just on strike, too. So uh, Chris went out there and spoke to them. So definitely uh, shout out to UAW.
0: Yes, uh, Chris Smalls actually uh, came to to the picket line uh, when us grad students were on strike. And that's actually where, where, I, where I met him. Um, so f- funny story. So Chris and I, like we're, we're both named Chris, we're both <laughs> in organized labor and we have the same birthday. So
1: ah, July 6th. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool.
0: Oh, that? <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe one of these days uh, we'll, we'll get Chris on an RPM as as well. You guys can have a
3: birthday, a birthday special maybe. If you
1: <laughs> hey, <here> you go.
3: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, what's it been? Have you found kind of Chris's rise to fame? It must be weird to see a friend like come this like almost like labor no. celebrity. Or it's it's always
1: it's Chris Smalls. That's how I put him. That's his Chris's style. <laughs> that's his Chris's personality. It's Chris Moore. He went to the president. He went to the White House with his nice little outfit on. it's Chris Moore, and that's what makes Chris Smalls Chris Smalls. his personality. So definitely. It's not. It's not the same. It's just you know. It's just personality. That's how he is. That's how he always been. So it's nothing he changed. It's just a personality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you you've been listening to uh, Revolution Spinning on listener sponsor WBEI and NYC Broadcasting at ninety nine point five FM, and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail dot com. That's revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. And you can find us on our website revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com, or on Twitter at NYC RPM. So, thank you for this incredible show, Jordan. Thank you for coming on.
3: Thank you, thank you, very you very so nice. much, Jordan. Solidarity with the ALU. Solidarity to all. So I'm Chris. I'm Bernard. And
0: have a nice night, and happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>